This evening we are in session number 10 in our series of studies in the book of Zechariah and we are looking at chapter 8 this evening. Remember last time we were together we said that 7 and 8 are together. 7 is speaking about a question that the people had to the Lord. Should we maintain these fasts that we have maintained when we were in captivity? Now they thought you know that was something that they can expect that they can stop doing in you know, a sense of entitlement we have been doing all along now we have come back you know, into Jerusalem now we are free but the Lord responded to them you know, in a way seemingly very harshly but in a way definitely helping them to understand the reason why they were fasting were they really fasting yes they were without food maybe you know, but was that real fast and the Lord explains to them what fasting should really be. Fasting should not be just the external of giving up something, but you know, the internal of what you're really doing. Is there a change in your life as a result of this time that you have had? But chapter 8 is like a reversal of fortunes. Chapter 8 is speaking about the curses that were there now are going to be removed totally. So in this chapter, we have a tremendously encouraging passage as God points to the reality of his curses upon disobedient Israel, which is the guarantee that future restoration and blessing will be just as certain. In other words, he is saying, okay, you know, you look at all that has happened, all the curses, that is actually a guarantee that there's going to be a restoration. Now, that's a, a different way of looking at things, isn't it? You know, we ask God, God, why is this all happened? And the Lord says, hey, all that has happened just as much as in the same manner, there's going to be a restoration as well. Now, this chapter is you know, very easily divided into two sections. The first 17 verses belong to one a section, which we can call as message number one, and verses 18 to 23 <laughs> speaks about message number two. Now, this division also comes in very easily because at the beginning of each of these sections, you know, we have thus saith the Lord, or thus saith the Lord Jehovah or the word of the Lord of hosts came saying okay now in each of these you know, sections that come and this is a repetition that comes time and time again and the name Jehovah or the Lord of hosts occurs in this chapter some 22 times okay basically saying hey this chapter is about God this chapter is about what God is going to do so if chapter 7 spoke about awakening our conscience to the reality of sin, then this chapter teaches us you know, the fact of God's soothing balm, God's consolation, God's compassion. And this is why this particular chapter, you know, in these first uh, 17 verses, God gives us seven confident assertions. <coughs> seven confident assertions assertions. So, if you are down and out this evening, this evening gives us seven confident assertions from God about the future, okay, about the future. And what is spoken of here for the nation of Israel is not about something that was going to happen to them immediately. 
he was giving them a glimpse, if you were to say, into the millennial rule, into the millennial times, you know, when God is going to rule the earth in the city of Jerusalem. Now, this is into the future. But knowing that what has happened is a guarantee of what is going to happen in the future, that should give us encouragement. Okay. Now, some people think, you know, that you know, they have already gone through hell, so they will go through heaven, go to heaven. Now, that's not the way you go to heaven, isn't it? Because you have gone through hell. But here this passage is teaching us, the Lord is saying, you have gone through these tough times. I have been with you. You didn't understand it. But I'm helping you to understand that even through these tough times, there was a purpose behind it, you know, and he gives us a glimpse into the future about how it is all going to end. So when you and I are going through life here on earth, there's definitely going to be issues, hard times. Yes, there's going to be disciplining hands of hand of God like it happened to the children of Israel. <laughs> but all this for a purpose. How is it all going to end? It's all going to end when God is going to establish his kingdom here on earth. So, as much as you know, these assurances are for the future time, principles from that could also be very well an encouragement for us as we go through those situations as well, which it was for the children of Israel. Because the passage also tells us, hey, you are rebuilding the temple, keep doing it, keep doing it. But what is spoken of, is of a future event. So this evening is going to be times of encouragement. Let's look at the first encouragement that the Lord gives to the children of Israel. <coughs> Verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath I am jealous for her. Okay, that's the first thing. The Lord is saying, I am jealous for Zion. That I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. <coughs> Jealous to reconcile Zion to her privileged position of intimacy. Okay. I, the Lord of hosts, am jealous for you, my children of Israel. This is what the Lord says. The Lord is saying, I am intimately jealous for you. Jealous to punish all of Zion's enemies with great wrath. With great wrath. Okay. So he's saying, you know, you're the apple of my eye. That is how precious you are to me. And if anybody dares touch you, cause you trouble, I'm the one in charge. I'm a God who is jealous for you. If you notice this verse, verse 2 echoes chapter 1 and verse 14, where the Lord says, I'm very jealous for Zion. And the Lord's passionate attachment to Zion overcomes the wrath that the people sin have produced or provoked. Here, the Lord is angry, but the love of God, the jealous and a relationship that God had with his people overcame that. That is how the Lord speaks about when he says, you are the apple of my eye. Nobody dare touch you. Nobody can pluck you out of my hand. That's what the Lord tells us, isn't it? <laughs> that is the intimacy that God enjoys with us. And remember, just as much as we can draw the principle from this, Zechariah is definitely speaking about the millennial scene 
of all the conditions that will prevail over there where the Lord himself will dwell among his people. Now when the Bible speaks about jealousy of God, sometimes we think, how can God be jealous? Because jealous is a negative thing, isn't it? You know? No, no, no. There's always this element of a positive jealousy, if you were to put it that way. You know? Because there's no implication of envy over here, but rather a boundless zeal of the Lord, the Lord who loves holiness, the Lord who hates sin, the Lord who brings judgment upon sinners, and the Lord who you know, works on behalf of his godly ones. That is the understanding of a godly jealousy, of so precious to him you know, that you know, he's so angry if somebody touches you. In fact, the Hebrew word that is used here is a very uh, uh, unique word. The Hebrew word is kineti, which speaks about the redness of the face that accompanies strong emotion. The redness of the face when it accompanies strong emotions. That's the word that is used here. In other words, it says God is so he holds you so precious that if somebody does something to you, he is enraged. His face turns red. By the way, that's what is called as anthro, uh, anthropomorphism. Figure of speech, speaking about God doesn't have a face. But for us to understand that, uh, 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 that word meaning that is used, where God himself you know, is so enraged, his face turns red because you, know, you and I are precious to him. That should give us you know, a lot of encouragement when we go through life, isn't it? When you go through situations in life and we wonder, is anybody on our side? The Lord says, no, I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for you. I'm going to be the one who is going to look after you. Nothing will be allowed to interfere with God's purpose in our lives. Secondly, <laughs> the scripture speaks about, I will dwell with you. Not only am I jealous with you, I will take up residence with you. I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. The Lord says, I will return to dwell. I will return to dwell. Zechariah 1.16 spoke about, I will return. And that's what again it's spoken of here. Now, a relocation of God's presence. God's presence left them. They were taken into captivity. Now the Lord says, you know, I will return to Zion. Now the scripture often tells us, isn't it? Return to me and I will return to you. God is jealous for us, yes, but he's just waiting for us to return. And as soon as we return, he is more than ready to return back to us. Imagery, think of the prodigal son. When he returned, the Bible tells us when the father saw him a long way off, you know, he ran and hugged him. That's the imagery that is you know, used over here. Where the Lord is saying, my presence will become precious to you once again. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called as the holy mountain. God is jealous for us. And he's saying, turn to me. If only you turn to me, the presence which you lost, 
As somebody has said, if we you know, used to walk with Jesus but now have gone away from God, guess who moved? God did not move. We did the moving. And the Lord says, you move back and my presence, my dwelling will get back. Jerusalem, if you notice in the scriptures, has many names. In the Old Testament, it's called as the faithful city. It's called as the city where the Lord is present. It's a city here. It is called as the city of truth. You know, it's called as the holy mountain. You know, it is holy because God is the one who has chosen it. It is holy because God's presence is there. You and I are called holy, set apart. Why? Because God's presence lives in us. So when we return to God, his presence becomes real to us. Then the third one in verses 4 and 5, we find that there is safety. There is safety. Old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with his staff in his hand because of age, and the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its streets. God will make all people safe and secure in Zion. There is security. When it speaks about this imagery of it is a place that is safe for the old folks. It is a place that is safe for the young children. Young boys and girls, old men and women can be on the streets, some walking slowly, some running rapidly, but they don't have to be afraid. Nothing is going to knock them off, you know. No vehicles, if you were to say, you know. When you're thinking about the new Jerusalem, you know, when you're thinking about the security that is there, and also when you think about the security that we have, you know, if we have returned to God, God's presence is real, if his presence is real with us, then that is what security is all about, isn't it? When do people lose their security? When they have gone away from God. But when they come close to God, that's the security that we do enjoy. There is safety in Zion. There is safety in <coughs> Zion. Fourthly, the omnipotence of God, which is there in Jerusalem. In other words, you know, this is what God is going to do. Okay? This is something that God specializes in. Now, for the people here who are living in not the best of situations, even after they have come back, you know, they are still rebuilding the city walls, and Zechariah is speaking to them about, hey, this is how life will be. You know? And people would have looked into their lives and, find, and thought about, hey, is that really possible? We are still under the Persian rule. Things are not really safe here. What is Zechariah talking about? And this is where the Lord of hosts comes back again and said, If it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of these people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord. The NIV says, speaks about will it, if it is too marvelous. Another translation says, if it is too difficult. If you are thinking, hey, this is, how is this really going to be possible? Is this really possible at all? That things are going to turn around so much. You are looking at your present scenario and you are wondering, will this really be possible? That I come close to God, God draws himself close to me. I experience his presence in a way I've never experienced before. The Lord says, hey, I'm the one who is the all-powerful one. Don't doubt God. 
don't doubt God. Think for a moment, putting yourself in the, uh, the son's shoes, when he's sticking, sitting among the pigsty, wondering, I wonder, I wonder, what should I do? Should I go back? Here I'm eating the pig's food. My father has the best food over there. The servants also have much better food than what I'm eating over here. So he makes up his mind. The Bible tells us the young man came to himself. That is the returning in the mind. And then he takes up his steps and begins to walk home. And then he has rehearsed his speech. And he says, this is what I will do. I will go and tell my father, I'm not worthy to be called even your son. Let me be one of your servants. And before he even he starts out this speech, the scripture tells us that the father ran, hugged him, threw the best party in town for him. That's the power of God, the power to change lives. We may look at our situation even this evening and say, oh, it's been there for a long time. For so many years, it's been like this, you know. I've never really experienced his closeness. I've never really experienced his presence. I've never really experienced his power in my life. But the Lord says, you are thinking it is going to be difficult or impossible, or you think this will be too marvelous if it happens. The Lord says, hey, remember, I'm the Lord. I'm the Lord. As God asked Jeremiah in chapter 32 and verse 27, I'm the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? God asked Jeremiah that question. And God still asks this person, <laughs> the people over here, the same question. Zechariah chapter 8 is speaking about that. If you are thinking this evening, it's too difficult. I don't know how it is going to change. Yes, there was a time I was close with God. But now I've gone away. The Lord says, return to me. I will return. Is it too difficult? Is it too difficult? <laughs> okay. You remember when the disciples you know, were with Jesus and Jesus spoke about you know, being a disciple, taking up a cross and following after Jesus. And the rich man came along and says, I want to follow. And the Lord says, first sell your riches and then come follow after me. The disciples were shocked. They said, here's a guy, a rich guy. Who says he wants to follow? Hey, take him on, take him on. His riches will become ours. The Lord says, no, first sell your riches. So the disciples have these questions. and you know, It's going to be so tough then. Who then can be saved? Then Jesus responds and says, all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. So whatever situation you may be in this evening, the Lord says, don't think it's an impossible situation. You've gone far away. No, you've never gone far away. As long as you turn around like the young man, turn around and come back to the Lord. The Lord says, return to me. I will return to you. What is humanly impossible, unable, the Lord says it is divinely, definitely possible. Then the fifth assurance that the Lord gives us is that he will regather his people. That's going to be a restoration. That's going to be a restoration. And the restoration is going to happen because he is going to gather them and he's also going to dwell in their midst. Look at what the Lord says. Behold, I'm going to save my people from the land of the east from the land of the west and I will bring them back and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem okay and they shall be my people I will be their God in truth 
and righteousness. Now the Lord is saying in the previous verses that you know, this is how life is going to be in Jerusalem. Now these people are saying hey, only a remnant of us are here. Okay, remember the whole group didn't come back. Just a small group came back. And they are thinking what is going to happen? The Lord is saying this is how life is going to be. But we are just a small group here. The Lord says, no, no, I'm going to bring all of them back. There's going to be a restoration that is going to take place. As the scripture constantly tells us, isn't it? The years which the locusts have eaten, I will give back to you. Okay? The years that these guys have spent you know, in uh, Babylon, the Lord says, I'll give, that, give back to you. That's going to be a, a restoration. Not necessarily immediately there because the Lord says over here that he will regather his people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. Because God is the one who is in charge. That's this Jewish diaspora that has spread all around the world. And when the nation of Israel no longer existed, the Lord fulfilled this promise that he brought people from all across the world, put them back into that land and say, hey, this is the land, this is Israel. Starting off of this prophecy being fulfilled of what is going to happen in the future. Behold, I'm going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west. I will regather them together. There's a regathering that's going to happen. There's going to be an establishment that is going to happen because he himself will be dwelling with them. And there's going to be a fellowship. There's going to be an enjoying of the relationship because the Lord is saying, they shall be my people. I will be their God. Now remember, this is all going to happen in the millennial period where the Lord himself comes and dwells among his people. Now that's also a, a renewal of the covenant over here. When the Lord says, you have uh, rejected me, I have rejected you. Now the Lord says, you have returned to me, so I'm going to call you my people once again. I will be your God in truth and in righteousness. That's a renewing of the covenant that takes place. When we return to God, God says, yes, that covenant now is renewed. That's what we call about a, a commitment of our lives or a recommitment of our lives, a commitment that we made to the Lord. Lord, I will follow you till the very end. And then we walk up in some other direction like the prodigal son. We come back. You know, there's a recommitment that takes place and the Lord rejoices. Just as much as the father rejoiced when the young man came home, there's rejoicing, there's a fellowshipping. There's a, uh, a bonding that takes place over here. Sixthly, there's going to be prosperity in Zion. God will turn the tables on the fortunes of his people. <coughs> now, this is why in verse 8 it says, Let your hands be strong. You who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. So <clears throat> the Lord is saying, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future. Now, they didn't understand how long they had to wait. You know. So the Lord is saying, till that time, you, know, you keep working. You keep working. And that's what the Lord has also told us to do, isn't it? Keep walk, uh, watching. Keep working. You know. That as long as it is in a day, 
that's the time that you have to work. The night comes when no man can work. When the Lord comes back again, establishes his kingdom, there's no more time to work. So the Lord is telling us even this evening, <coughs> this is my plan for you. I'm jealous for you. You return to me. I will return. Covenant relationship is going to be renewed. But till such time as I call you home or I come back again to take you to be with me, the Lord is saying, keep working. Let your hands be strong. Let your hands be strong. <coughs> That's the message that God gives to us. Don't grow weary. Sometimes when the pressure gets tough, sometimes when it's hard, sometimes when you feel you're all alone, you may think, what's the point of continuing on? But the encouragement here again is, don't give up, don't give up. Because this is how it is all going to end. This is all going to end. That's what the Lord told his disciples, is that let not your hearts be troubled. Don't you know, you know, panic when all these things happen in the world. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is how it's going to end. In my father's house are many mansions. If I go, I'm going to come back again. That's how it is going to end. So till such time as you and I are here on earth, he says, keep working, keep working. And the blessed future is going to be different from the curse that was there. Just as much as we are living today with the curse that is there in the world because of sin. All creation is groaning, waiting for that day you know, when they would all be released. You know. What is the cursed past? There was no reward for labor, for before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for animal. There was no peace of security for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. There was no friendship or partnership and I said all men one against the other. This is what the curse involved, one fighting against the other. You know. The scripture constantly speaks about what is happening in the world today is because of sin in the world, isn't it? When brother against brother fighting, you know, sin in the world. When you're thinking about, you know, the environmental issues that are happening, sin in the world. When you're thinking about no peace in the world, because sin in the world. The curse is there because of sin. But, he says, there's going to be a change. There's going to be a change in the treatment. But now, I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the for former days, declares the Lord. There's going to be a, a reversal. Reversal that is going to take place. What's the reversal that's going to take place? First of all, God will restore the fertility of the land so that the crops can flourish back again. That's the future of peace and prosperity. Verse 12, for there will be peace for the seed, the wine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce and heavens will give their due and I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. When all creation is groaning, when Adam and Eve sinned, by the sweat of your brow, the earth will give its produce. Sin. Now when sin is removed, what will happen? There's going to be flourishing. That's why the Bible speaks about the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem being a place of prosperity, being a place of peace, being a place of you know, a fruitfulness, if you were to say. Also, there's going to be a blessing 
to the nations. Verse 13 says, It will come about that just as you are a curse among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. God's people will also enjoy the reversal from being a curse to being a blessing. God blesses us so that we can bless others. So don't stop building. Don't stop blessing others. As long as you have an opportunity, keep doing it. That is why you know, it says, take courage. You know, do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Oftentimes, if you notice in the scriptures, this do not fear comes in in the beginning of something that has to be done. It says, do not fear. This is what's going to happen. You know? Salvation of God. This is what God is going to do. Here, this do not fear phrase comes at the end of all that has to be done. Okay? He says, hey, this is all that's going to happen. So, don't fear. Don't fear. Let your hands be strong. And that's an encouragement that God gives to us even this evening. No matter what you see all around us, no matter what you see all inside of you that is happening, turmoil inside, turmoil outside, do not fear, but let your hands be strong. Then the next one is speaking about the responsibility that's going to be there in Zion because God is the one who is going to motivate that blessing. In other words, as just as much as Jesus spe another uh, Paul speaks about, it is God who works in you. Okay, it is God who does this work in our lives. You know, because God is the one who works in us. Just as I purposed, verse 14, just as I purposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented, so I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah, so do not fear. God says, who is speaking? It is the sovereign Lord speaking. He says, you can count on God. Just as much as there was a sovereign decree for the curse, there's also a sovereign decree to bless. So the simple command is, be encouraged, be encouraged. Yes, times were tough in the past, you return to God. God says, keep doing, keep doing. It's not that times here or not may become easier, but there's going to come a time in which you're going to live forever with the Lord himself reigning, okay? So, do not fear, do not fear. And then, after this do not fear, you find some simple instructions that the Lord gives to his people. What should we do? We don't fear, yes. We keep working, yes. Working on what? He gives us a list. If you notice, the list that is mentioned in verse 16 and 17 resembles the list that was mentioned in chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Two prohibitions, you should not do this, followed by two positive, what you should do. So here is, first of all, what you must do, okay? You, what you must do. Basically, we must love what God does and do that. These are the things which you should do, verse 16. Speak the truth to one another, judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. God has placed us here for a purpose, let our lives be a blessing. How is our life going to be a blessing? The Lord says, a hey, simple thing I'm telling you, speak the truth, speak the truth, judge with truth and judge with peace in your gates. Speak to the truth to each other or speak faithfully to each other. 
what you must avoid let none of you devise evil in your heart against another and do not love perjury for all these are what I hate one way to plot evil against your neighbor was to bring false charges against another to bribe false witnesses and the Lord says hey I hate that in other words the Lord says this, this is what I want to do let your mouth what you are saying what is coming out of your mouth let it be truth at all times because the Lord hates lies isn't it this just as an example remember this is not the the complete thing that you have to do but if you and I are living a truthful life we become a blessing to others <laughs> now in the final section verses 18 to 23 is the second message where the blessing that God pours upon the children of Israel in these last days or in that period will be so great that it will spill over to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, who would also want to experience this. This is speaking about the physical thing happening. But this is also true for our lives today when the non-believing world looks at what God is doing in our lives because God has blessed us, we become a blessing to others, the non-believing world should also be able to say, hey, we want to know what makes you tick. We want to know and follow after this God whom you worship. This is the response. The scripture says very clearly, isn't it? You know, you know, how we must do the good works before others so that you know, the people will see the good works and glorify the Father. That should be the issue. When they see our good works, it should not be to praise us, it should be to praise God. When will that happen? When we give God the glory. When we have done a good job and we pat ourselves on the back, that's not speaking the truth, isn't it? That's telling a lie, that's taking credit for yourself. But when we give God the glory, when they see the change in our lives, people around us are able to recognize there is a difference. So, if chapter seven was an issue about fasting the lord is now giving an answer to that question about fasting with the feasting in this section thus says the lord verse 18 and 19 the fast of the fourth the fast of the fifth the fast of the seventh the fast of the tenth months will become joy gladness and cheerful feast for the house of judah so love truth and peace fasting will be turned into feasting as you know they pursue truth and peace now what is the significance about all these uh, you know, months in the fourth month Nebuchadnezzar's army had broken through the city walls in the fifth month the Babylonians had destroyed and burned the temple and other buildings in the seventh month Gedaliah the governor had been assassinated and this ending had begun in the 10th month, one or two years earlier, when the Babylonian army laid siege to Jerusalem. So the Lord is saying, these things that you thought were negative things for which you were fasting, now has become milestones for you to look back upon and thank the Lord and feast. Okay? 
He's saying, I'm going to turn your mourning into dancing. These occasions for fasting will become joyful and glad occasions. Why? Because the judgment is going to be removed. The judgment is going to be removed. The Lord will put an end to the practice of fasting in memory of the judgment on Jerusalem and will replace fast days with festivals. That's why the scripture speaks about the new Jerusalem, heaven, being a place of no more tears, but there's going to be times of rejoicing. There's going to be a change over, okay? That which we thought were negative, God worked through all that, bringing us into a closer walk with God and finally bringing us into glory. Secondly, there's the favor of God that is sought by the Gentiles. In our verse 20 and 20 to 22, it will yet be that people will come, even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many people and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. People from one city will go to the other cities. People from different cities will come to Jerusalem. First will be to entreat the Lord. In other words, ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to accept them. Secondly, to seek after the Lord. To seek after the Lord. And as you know, these people are all dispersed in different places and they see the reality of God in someone's life and they are saying, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. And the people say, okay, I also want to come with you. I also want to come with you. Many people will come. And finally, verse 23 speaks about how everybody will all be united together. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. And this is not speaking about any Jew, this is speaking about the remnant Jew, this is speaking about the believing Jew, this is speaking about believers who know the Lord. And the unbelieving people now are saying, why 10 numbers used? The number 10 here may be an allusion in Genesis where the Lord agreed to spare Sodom for the sake of 10 righteous men, but 10 could not be found. So here there are 10 people who are saying, Lord, we are crying out to you, save us. And as a result, they come to, you know, to Jerusalem. Why? Because they heard that God is with you. Remember Rahab of Jericho explains the reason for helping the Israelite spies in a similar terms where she says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the Red Sea and defeated Sihon, Og and two other kings. The question we must ask ourselves, even as you know, a result of this is, can people looking at our lives, looking at our lifestyle, can they say, we have heard? What is our sphere of influence? What is the testimony that we have to people around us? Will they be able to say, we have heard about this person's testimony, his love for the Lord, her love for the Lord, the lifestyle that they lead? What are we you know, telling the world through our lifestyle? Here, the scripture teaches us, you know, the non-Christian world, saw the believing world and says, we have heard. And that is what a life centered around God is all about. This is the blessing of God. 
when the Lord says, return to me, my presence will be with you. When my presence will be with you, the curse will be removed. There's going to be a blessing and there's going to be such a blessing that the people are going to notice it. And when they notice it, they'll be able to say, we have heard that this is what has happened to you. Ask ourselves, over the years that we have come to know Christ, what influence have we given to people around us? Do they know that we are a Christian? Do they know that we have a different worldview? Do they know who we believe in? Do they see any change in our lives? That's an issue that we must ask ourselves this evening as a result of this passage. Couple of application questions before we close this evening. Number one, how does God demonstrate his jealousy for the total allegiance of his people? Number two, what characteristics of restored Jerusalem are mentioned in this passage? Number three, how can we be sure that God will fulfill what he has promised here? And number four, what does the assurance of God's presence with us mean to us today? Let's bow our heads in prayer together.